May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing you, God, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Question. Who are our lastborns here? Give me a lastborn. Lastborn. You know, lastborn born in the family? Come on, we've got babies out there someplace. Good. Well, both Julie and I are lastborns, number six out of six in our families. And there is a psychologist by the name of Ken, uh, Kevin Lehman, you may have heard of him, and he does a lot of search research on uh, family orders, birth orders, and such. And one of the things he said was that lastborns, and we lastborns, we have it easy because everyone else has to do all the work, but lastborn, marrying the lastborn, equals chaos. That means your house looks like messenger hall during the rummage sale. I would like the people who clean up Messenger Hall to come to our house and garage and just make it strict. I walked in this morning to get a cup of coffee, talking to Donna, and it was so strange I did not recognize Messenger Hall. And I actually heard an echo, 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 echo in Messenger Hall. And it was wonderful being there. But going back to being the baby of the family, we don't always get a free ride on everything. I mean, I still have household chores to do, and that includes not just inside the house, but going outside and doing the weeding, as well as the gardening, and um, taking care of wonderful things like that. And it was nice having our dog run around that kind of distract me, because we didn't have squirrels, but we had dogs running around, so it was nice to watch them and chase after them. But one of the nice things was that we, my brother and I, we planted a garden to grow corn and other things, and it was nice that we grew lots of wonderful vegetables because it's very fertile. Because that's where we buried the dead turtles, the dead, dead lizards, the dead hamsters, the dead goldfish. And so we had really productive fields like that. It was great. But we also lived in Sanitale, which was kind of like a suburb of San Francisco where we grew up. And you know, those of us who call suburbia home, we tend to spend a lot of money and effort in our yards. I mean, take a look at Sunset Magazine, or HGTV, Better Homes and Garden. You look at that, and you've heard that familiar phrase, the grass is greener on the other side. I mean, is it really about ending your neighbor's yard? Maybe, maybe. But, you know, taking that phrase at a glance, you know, you're motivated to go to Home Depot, get that miracle grow, or just, you know, make everything wonderful. Make it green. We want our grass to be crisp and clear and uh, crisscross patterns just like Angel Stadium, you know, with the grass out there. We want our manicured shrubs and pruned trees. We want it to look like a golf course. We want the right color turf out there as well as the mulch. We plant annual flowers that only just last a few weeks or so. Just last week, I laid down some cement pavers for a new walkway to our patio. I just wish my muscles felt better than what my new decor looks. But, ah, uh, life, life in suburbs. I read a book recently. Don't you like these suburbs? You ever look like that? You know, life, life lives in those ticky-tacky houses. But I read a book recently called The Suburban Christian by a guy named Albert Chu from University Press. And he talked about suburbs and cities and that most people are likely to work in the suburb, live in the suburb, shop in the suburb, attend recreational events in the suburb. And suburbia is now so diverse that a majority of Asian Americans, 
myself included, and Hispanics, you know, 40% they live in the suburbs. African Americans live in the suburbs. New immigrants are moving to the suburbs more so than the cities. And the average suburban household makes 13 car trips a day that can add up to an hour and 40 minutes plus each day, which is more than three weeks a year in their car. I mean, how that is education, right? And the more spread out our suburbs are, the higher the rates of obesity, high blood pressure, and weight-related chronic illnesses because we drive more and walk less. And maybe that's why we're so enamored with our yards as pseudo-exercise, right? In suburban America, next to our barbecues, yards can be a great source of pride and status. And often a person's front yard and its maintenance gives us a little clue of what that family is like. For instance, if the grass is too high, we might think, maybe that person's sick, or they're having financial problems, or they're working extra shifts, or maybe they're still way on vacation. Or the grass is dead and has bare spots. Maybe they have a because they left the waiting pool that are too long. Or my favorite, they got dogs in the neighborhood. You know what that's like. We take our plots of land very seriously. We invest time and money and a lot of sweat equity into them since so that they look healthy and beautiful. And I wonder sometimes if maybe this parable we just heard, if the farmer can relate to what we live today in suburbia, that we want the best, and this farmer wants the best for his plot of land. And this passage implies that he prepared it so that the wheat seeds he sowed would bring forth a bountiful yield. But all does not go as planned. Because an enemy comes in the middle of the night and plants weeds among the good seeds. Some Bible translations use the words tares instead of weeds, T-A-R-E-S. It's a plant or a seed so similar to wheat that you really can't tell the difference until both are up and you can see what they both look like. And nevertheless, the results are devastating for this farmer. Weeds grow up among the crops and the amazement and disappointment to that farmer. And we're not talking about just a little kid's garden that has some weeds in there, but this entire field, especially in those days, is this owner's livelihood. And the first response is just to pull up the weeds for the help of the rest of the crops. But the sower knows better. The sower chooses to risk the life of the crops alongside the weeds until harvest time. Because he does not want to pull up any wheat plants by mistake just to destroy the weeds. Do you remember picking dandelions when you were a kid, or even today when you walk around? And maybe you even secretly offered a little secret prayer room and you blew these little translucent seed pods all over to the air. And certainly it's fun for us as kids to do that. But for some other people, especially grown-ups, their blood pressure hurdles and rises when they see dandelions on their grassy field. And with all their back-breaking efforts and feeding the lawn and weeding everything else, the last thing they want to see is a dandelion. Because one little puffball like that can hold over a hundred seeds of new dandelions or weeds. And a small plant can carry over 2,000 feathery seed pods waiting to overtake your nicely manicured lawn. 
And simply mowing those little dandelions down does not fix the problem. Only a shovel will do. And the dandelion is a very strange plant. To some, it's a powerful medicine, it's an herb, which is delicious food for some salads, while others just call it for what it is, a weed. But poets, you know, say that a weed is merely an unloved flower, right? Deadlines, they can really look pretty, you know, kind of get over it, or it's really a noxious weed. And that means to get them out, you gotta dig them out, but that also means risking digging out your grass that you spent so much time making perfectly green. The sower in the parable, this farmer, he has faith in his crop. He knows that he has done good work. He's prepared the soil and carefully planted good seeds. He has faith that his crops will do well and bring a productive yield despite the enemy planting these weeds there. The story follows the one that Pastor Joe told us last week about being fruitful when your heart, mind, and soul are planted in good soil and nurtured with that Jewish prayer, that the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Because good so is the ideal location for seeds to grow. But from this parable that we just heard, just landing on good soil alone does not guarantee a life without challenges. Because good soil is just as attractive to weeds as it is to good seeds. But again, the farmer has faith that his field will produce a fruitful yield, even in the presence of the weeds. In last week's message, Pastor Bill told us about the parable of the sower. You know, there was one sower, the farmer, one kind of seed, but four kinds of soil, the dry path, the rocky ground, the thorny, and the good soil, and each with different kinds of results. But in this parable of the wheat among the weeds, there are two sowers, there are two kinds of seeds, and there are two different harvests. And what are we made to make about the difference between these two stories. As the old baseball saying goes, you can't tell the players without a program. Let me give you a couple of insights on what I found by looking at this story. First is the field. The field is us, the visible church, the individual followers of Jesus, as perfect and as imperfect as it is or we may be. Jesus said in verse 38 of this parable that the field and money is his field still. His field is the world. And maybe that's where we get John Wesley attributing his saying, the world is my parish. And the church being in the world, there will be a mixture of weeds among the weeds, which leads us to this next item, the two souls. So different in character, are they? In the previous parable, the, the sower stands for all proclaimers of the gospel, even Jesus himself. But in this parable, the first sower is Jesus, only Jesus. And the other sower, the other guy, is the enemy, the evil one, the devil. And the word Jesus uses for his enemy, that is Christ's enemy. The word that's in Greek is diabolos. You've heard it in terms of more Spanish, diablo. It means enemy. It means liar, slanderer, the wicked one who is against all that is true, high, and Noble. This enemy has sown in a field that is not his own. Again, it belongs to Christ. And when he returns to it, 
when Jesus comes back at the end of time, it will be a pure world in which to live because of that harvest that Jesus will proclaim. And we are given insight into the cowardly nature of the devil in choosing darkness when the servant slept for his secret evil work. So we have the field, the two sowers, and the two products. Jesus sows the good seed, wheat, in, again, his field, and his enemy sows the bad seed, the weeds, among the weeds. The devil would not think of sowing the wicked among the wicked. Rather, it's sowing the wicked among the good. And the two together make up what we see today in the body we call the church. We see cults, we see false teaching, as well as the bad seeds in the world today. Excuse me. And then we have, a little more specifically, the tares. Sex life shows how they look. They look very similar to wheat, and you have tares. At first, they look the same, which is why when we read the parable, the farmer says, let them both grow up. And when they are mature, then you can see the difference. Then it'll be easier to pull out the tares, the weeds, and then gather the wheat for store into the barn. The tares. It's the devil's action was motivated by pure malice. And because the look-alike of the good seed, the wheat, and the bad seed, the tares, it's more than a simple passive-aggressive posture because the enemy's method is opposition by imitation as a form of revenge against God. It is the poisoning of the wheat field, poisoning the church, if you will, requiring work to get rid of it, and we do work at it. And yet, there's still going to be some lingering of presence of weeds or some bad stuff that's going to just kind of bother us for a number of years still. But then we have the weeds. And these are the children of God, followers and disciples of Jesus. The good seed is the product of the precious word of God. Received, understood, and obeyed. In other words, it's our lives that are transformed. Our lives that are embodied the word of truth. It's our lives following Jesus. And Jesus expects us to bear fruit. Well, I like this word, fruitify. I love that word, fruitify. We fruitify in the corner of the field of this world in which Jesus has planted us. So the weeds, for a short time, are given a temporary reprieve. They grow alongside the wheat until its time for the final harvest. And this is where, admittedly, the parable makes us uncomfortable. We don't like thinking about the ferocity involved in gathering and the burning of the weeds. The fact that the burden comes from Jesus himself still makes us uncomfortable and it's difficult to grasp. And here is the Son of God, Jesus. You know, we think of love, peace, joy, kumbaya, whatever, all those things. And yet Jesus, Son of God, is proclaiming a message of death and resurrection. And it's not just something that's made up. It's in the Bible, both Old and New Testament. And it's a clear message that prevails that we should focus, of where we should focus our energies and all our efforts. We are to sow good seeds in healthy soil, just like the sower planted. We need to have the same kind of faith, just like the sower, so that when, and not if, but when the enemy comes in the night to sow seeds, we will be confident that our harvest, 
of sharing the gospel will not be affected. We've all heard the term dark night of the soul. And I think we've all been there at one point in our lives. And it's not so much that you're a bad person, you sit in the corner. No, I believe it's a way of God saying, come, now the instructions are over there. Let's take a walk together and see what we can do about this. The weeds are destined to be burned, whether they are pulled up now or gathered at the harvest. Because the fire awaiting the weeds should light a metaphorical fire under us to focus our efforts to sowing good seeds and good soil that would be healthy enough to endure the potential sabotage that the weeds will do in the darkness. Jesus' message is clear that both healthy plants and weeds will be present until harvest time. I mean, just look at the world around us. Look at all the news that's out there. Good versus evil. Hearers of God's word will live next to those who reject Jesus until the end of time. So the focus of our efforts must be on growing and sowing seeds of faith, healthy seeds, seeds that can withstand threats with confidence, seeds that will produce good fruits until the harvest. And this parable ultimately presents the problem of evil, the fact that the mingling of evil with good is <laughs> mingling of evil with good is a condition of our human existence. And again, like I said, look at the politics, look at the fake news, look at the world, check out the wave of discontent between Egypt, Iran, Iran, Iraq, China, North Korea, Russia, you name the countries out there. It's a mess out there. And no matter how we try to legislate and separate, the seeds of corruption seem to find lodging and grow into noxious weeds in the good fields of the church as well as of our world. The real and the counterfeit, they're ever with us. Good and evil are interwoven into our human fabric and unfortunately in our church as well. But knowing the difference between good and evil in this parable of wheat and tares is more than just a nice story or a metaphor. The tares are not real wheat. They just look like it. Not until maturers can the difference be detected. For an enemy to cowardly come at night, to plant this kind of seed is not just in the world, but again, it's also in the church. And as opposition by imitation which is the character of Satan, the evil one, like the terror, counterfeit of reality. The bad is sown among the good, because many who do not belong to God resemble those who are, yes, they go to church, they pray, they read the Bible, but at the end, when they quote a little tour, we see that difference. But we must wait until the harvest at the end of age, when the angels from God Come and gather the evil and dispense with them and gather the wheat, God's children, into the kingdom of God. Some of you may remember way back when, in the 1930s, a jazz singer by the name of Mahalia Jackson. She was more than just a jazz singer. In fact, she really didn't sing jazz or secular music. She sang gospel throughout. And she was known as the queen of gospel. And she was also known not just as a singer, but a civil rights activist. She recorded over 30 albums during her career. And by the terms of singing only gospel music, 
I love this quote. She said this. I sing God's music because it makes me feel free. It gives me hope. With the blues, when you finish, you still have blues. In 1937, Mahalia Jackson recorded a song titled, God's Gonna Separate the Wheat from the Tares. Go on Google, search it out. It's a nice, nice little wonderful song. I'll read some of the lyrics. God's gonna separate the wheat from the tares. Did he say, did he say? Let them do what they may to that great harvest day. God's gonna separate the wheat from the tares. Oh, when that great morning comes, when that great morning comes, let them do what they may to that great harvest day. Because God's gonna separate the wheat from the tares. Did he say? Going back to the beginning of this parable, if you ever wondered, about the practice of not pulling weeds into the harvest time. I mean, is that any way to run a farm or even your own grass, grassy field? The focal point is not about growing crops in agriculture, but growing God's kingdom in the midst of evil and a challenging world. Because in this story, the weeds in no way seem to interfere with the growth of the weeds. So the focus at this point is on the enemy who plants those tears. In other words, the parable says that doing nothing is at least for the time being the preferred response to evil. Not universal, but in this case. So until that final harvest, the evil is to be suffered. When the servants ask the farmer Jesus that they should pull up the weeds, he says, no, pull up evil and you'll pull up goodness. But then comes the most remarkable Greek word in the parable. Athete. Athete. It means to let, to permit, even to suffer. Athete, both the roll together until the harvest. When this verse is conjugated and applied to something we'll say a little later, to debts, to trespasses, to sins, and so on, it comes out in English as to forgive. Listen for that when we say the Lord's Prayer with it. And this is crucial because an easy reading would just say, ah, just let them both grow. But on hearing the farmer's answer in the Greek, to answer the malice, the evil, the badness that is growing manifest in the real world and in the lives of real people, is not to be dealt with attacking things or persons to whom it dwells, rather than to be dealt with by a letting be. That was a forgiveness. That was a suffering. Now, how counter is that to what we would normally react with? But God's clear vision and character is that we live in an age of grace. Namely, that weeds can become weeds. That as sinners can become saints when we choose to grow as children of God in God's kingdom. The counterfeits can be changed into genuine believers. The more the Lord has in our hearts, the less the evil on our hands. So, how green is your lawn? And no, I don't mean your yard, but your heart, your spirit. How much time and energy do you invest in preparing the soil of your heart for the seed God wants to sow in your life? Are you giving God good soil in which to plant seeds? How will you respond to the dandelions that will land in your life or the weeds that crop up in the night? Weeds that come in the form of financial, health, school, or relationship issues. 
weeds among the wheat. It's an act searching of our fields, of our lives. Whether it's our workplace, our neighborhood, our church, our nation, or within the intimate landscape of our own hearts. The closing line in the parable is key. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone hear us. Because Jesus invites all of us to take seriously the work we do in the lasting consequences. So, what are you doing? If you're a last born, you're an associate as well. Thanks to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this story. That it's more than just a story. It's a story of our lives because we know that there are weeds that we grow around us. And sometimes in our own very hearts. Grant us your grace, God, to see that you will be there for us. That you will give us a, a hope that allows us to deal and tolerate the weeds. And when appropriate, they are and will be removed by your spirit. Help us, God, to be aware of others who have weeds and come alongside them in the best ways and help them to grow strong in their faith. Bless us, God, as we lift our hearts to you, that we may find that you are with us, that you are the soul of the good seed, and that we still plan that it's still your fuel that is in our hearts. We name you pray. Amen.